That is our defence minister looking very happy, uh, dressing the finance minister at a cabinet meeting ahead of his walk downstairs into parliament to present the budget speech. As you can see, he's very happy. And the reason he's very happy is because he knows he's going to be popular. Because he knows he's not going to increase any taxes. Even though everybody has been predicting that he has to increase taxes. And the reason he's not going to increase taxes is quite simple. Because he knows that if he increases taxes, he will get less money from taxpayers than he's getting at the moment. South Africa has maxed out on its ability to tax its citizens, its companies, and its, uh, its customs and excise. It now has to do something different. It has to, on the one hand, start cutting back the expenditure that the government is spending, and on the other hand, it has to become more efficient in collecting taxes. And that's really the theme of the budget this year. There was quite a lot of uh, discussion in the, uh, in the mass media about how Tito had managed to balance things and juggle things around. It's, it's all nonsense. He had nothing to juggle. He had nothing to organize. Because he's an intelligent man and he understands the Laffer curve, which tells us, this guy called Arthur Laffer, Laffer a, a economist, tells us you can tax to a certain degree and you go beyond that, you get less in than you would have got by just leaving taxes where it was. The problem that he had is on the slide here, which shows you that in 2019, South Africa's economy grew at 0.3%. Now, why this is a problem is because the budget, which is a bookkeeping exercise by the, by the state, if you remember, was based on a growth rate of 1.5%. Think of yourself as a company that makes, gets all your costs together based on a growth rate of 15% and your actual growth is 3%. Now, if you're a small company, you can be nimble and you can cut back your costs to balance things a little better. If you're a country and you've got public servants who have very strong trade unions and instead of growing at the 15% revenue, you grow at 3 you've got a problem because you've based your budget on 15% growth and it only comes in at 3 So in, in South Africa's instance, GDP growth, growth of the economy, the, the numbers were down on 1.5%, the actual was 0.3%. Reason for that primarily, the target of the greatest state capture plunder that uh, has happened in Africa anyway, and that's saying something, uh, Eskom. The billions and billions that were taken out of Eskom have been accumulated in the Treasury documents this year for the first time. It was quantified, if you knew where to look. I spent six hours in the lockup, so I had a lot of time to look. And the number we have put in as taxpayers to Eskom thus far is 400 billion rand over the years. Uh, there was a vote of 29 billion rand a year two years ago, which was supposed to take care of Eskom's issues. As you well know, that was woefully inadequate. And Eskom got over 100 billion in the last couple of years and more to come. But it's 400 billion in the last decade that we've put into this uh, festering saw. Sometimes you need to hit rock bottom to wake up. Uh, the, the nation has woken up. Sura Maposa, the the uh, president is now open to ideas which were not possibly conceived of even two years ago. Selling off Eskom power stations, coal-fired power stations, tackling the unions because they have to be tackled. This is what has happened in our country. We knew there was a lot of problems coming at mini-budget time. That was in October. In October, already, we were told that because the economy was growing slower than the 1.5% projected, we were going to be 52 billion rand short in revenue. Now, that's a big number. What does it mean? If you take VAT at 15% and you cut it down to 12.5%, you'd get about 50 billion rand. That's what it means. 
about 2.5% of VAT is the equivalent of what we were short four months ago. Four months later, in the main budget, uh, sorry, we were we undershot even work. Actually, it was another 10.7 billion less that we were going to get in. So in four months, it deteriorated from 50 to 63, the final number. So South Africa Inc. received 63 billion rand less than had been budgeted. That's a problem, because if you're making your budget, and clearly you have revenue on the one hand and expenditure on the other, the revenue shortfall of 63 billion is a, well, if, you, if, you would, if it was just arithmetic and there was no Laffer curve, you would simply have to increase your VAT by 3%. Imagine what that would have done to economic growth, just to make up for what has been lost in the last year. On the other side, as we know from any income statement, is the spending. And the problem there, although there have been some fantastic efforts by Treasury to cut back on spending, they had to deal with ESCOM. And ESCOM and uh, South African Airways needed more money. So as a consequence, as a nation, we spent about 20 billion rand more than we had budgeted for, and we got in 63 billion rand less than anticipated. So suddenly we got this 80 billion rand hole. It's big numbers. These are big numbers, uh, certainly in the context of South Africa. So what do you do about it? In a, in a Zuma administration, you jack up taxes because the ignorance that was so obvious in what was going on there was pretty apparent. They didn't understand the impact of the, the actions that were taken. Otherwise, we would have had well, maybe a little less state capture. I don't think you would have got the corruption out of the way. But the state capture, at least, at least someone would have said, you know, guys, let's stop completely uh, um, emptying the cookie jar. Leave a little bit there so at least there's something left for the nation. What you do have today is you have a different uh, a leadership, a leadership that is, that is as the nation first, not an elite first. It's hard to believe for many people because you go through life, you see the, the, I think today we had the 11th day of no load shedding and Eskim tweeted to tell us this. Uh, be careful <laughs> when you start um, tempting fate in that way. But when you have load shedding, when you're driving in, in, in your car and the traffic lights are off, especially in Cape Town, uh, you, you know how disruptive and and how aggravated one gets at the Guptas all over again. But that is the reality of where the budget was, that we were 80 billion rand short. So, if you're Tito Mboweni, you look at this graph because he is a smart guy and he understands international economics. And this is probably the one graph that would have shaped the whole opinion or the whole focus of the budget this year. We need more money, but South Africa, as a uh, tax as a proportion of GDP, is the second highest in the world. Now you can't push it too far. You, 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 it's impossible on this <coughs> to get to a point of continuing to tax people because the higher you are as a percentage of GDP, eventually people just become crooks. We had it in the apartheid era. Every, cheating the taxman. Those who were around at that stage were remembered with a national sport because you could justify it on apartheid. Well, these guys are going to go and just spend on the military and waste the money anyway. <coughs> so, why should we pay it to them? Once you get into the situation that South Africa's in, you are incentivizing your citizens to become cheats. You can't push that envelope any further. If you look, there's only one country in the world. Uh, well, of the major, <coughs> major economies, that does take more tax out of uh, the, from its citizens than us, and that's Denmark. And in Denmark, you pretty much get everything for free. So the tax you pay there, you get free schooling, uh, free hospitals, free retirement, free public transport, you get a really good return on your investment because of the Scandinavian way. If even there, a little bit further back is the UK, which is a smaller proportion of tax to GDP than South Africa. And there you know you've got national and schools, uh, free schooling, free universities, and so on and so forth. And here we are in South Africa at a point where we're not really getting much back for taxes anyway, 
and the, the, the society has been heavily taxed. So, when you understand economics, as Mboweli does, you look at this, you say, whoa, okay, I've got a problem. I know we've got an 80 billion rand hole, but I can't put any more tax onto the population. So what do you do? You go and borrow the money. <coughs> and sadly, we will now have this year the budget deficit, and what that is, is the amount the country, the, the state spends relative to what it gets in, will be at its second highest percentage of GDP ever, in other words, second highest percentage of the economy, will be 6.8% this year. The only other time, as you can see on the graph, that it was higher than this was 1993, where the National Party said, what the heck, you know, we're gone next year, so let's spend. Let's just, uh, and they did, they went big. If you go back to the budget in 93, you'll see there was quite a lot of spending that, uh, well, you talk to the guys who took over, and they'll explain that when they got to the treasury, it was empty. Because it was, well, it's your last year, you know, have a party. Um, and that is the only other time that we've been at this level. Quite often we hear from uh, Ramaphosa and, and other members of government about state capture. Often you read in the media about the facilitating role that multinationals made in state capture, and there's an anger amongst the citizens of this country. They don't really know why, but they know they've been ripped off. This graph shows you how badly we've been ripped off. In 2009, when Zuma came <coughs> into the presidency, South Africa's debt-to-GDP ratio was 26%. I'll show you in a little while how well it, it was relative to other countries in the world. This was a magnificently managed economy from a financial perspective. Magnificently managed. And you'll see the numbers in a moment. But when the crooks got in, they turned that on its head. And as you can see, from the, almost the day that Zuma came, 2009, all, what has happened is that the debt has just gone through the ceiling. We're looking at projected at 71.6%, uh, which is more than double what it was when it started. Think of yourself inheriting a, a business, and you aren't getting in enough money, and you're spending too much, so you just borrow. And don't worry about tomorrow, because... We're borrowing so that we can feather our own nest. We can take the money out as, as cash. And that's effectively what happened. State capture is a blight on this nation that we are going to pay for for quite some years. Uh, talking about ESCOM, today ESCOM issued a statement from the CEO that they are going after one of the companies, Trillium, that ripped them off for 600 million rand. Just one. Plenty more to come. Bain. KPMG, uh, uh, SAP, the infamous McKinsey, these companies that facilitated state capture in South Africa are certainly in the uh, uh, crosshairs of a nation which wants its money back. Of course, most of all, look. But this is not a, when, when we hear about state capture, that's the picture. That's what it cost us. We all knew. You know, at the time I used to do, I've done these roadshows for quite a while, and it's, it's always Joe Victor and Cape Town. Cape Town always, you know, tell people about corruption. Yeah, 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 people love their heads because they know. Durban! They didn't want to hear. I remember doing a, a budget, a post budget uh, breakfast. I did one for quite a few years in Durban. And after that breakfast, I never got invited back when I was telling them about how Zuma and his cronies were stealing the place blind, just explaining in the budget, this is the reason why taxes are going up, this is the reason why. And, you know, in, in, in case they didn't, they quite like uh, <laughs> And when you drive around there, you'll see, you did put a little bit of money back into, uh, into the north of, of, uh, north of Durban, with the beautiful highways and things that are there. Uh, but today, of course, it's a very different situation. The eyes are wide open. That's, that's the graph to look at. So how are we at the moment? Well, I, I hear people say, oh, let's hope that, and it's reading the media, let's hope that movies don't downgrade us to China. It's ridiculous. It's not even... It's, when Tito Mboweli sat there and did his budget, he saw he couldn't put more taxes onto this population. 
He essentially said, and we're going to be downgraded to junk. Because that was the option. Somehow you, you either go to compress your debt to GDP ratio, in other words, spend, overspend by less this year, or you're going to be junk rate. It's not, a, it's not an argument anymore, and I'll explain why. South Africa's sitting there. We're in company of Egypt, Saudi Arabia. Okay, Saudi Arabia's not really a problem because they've got big reserves. They can run budget deficits indefinitely, almost. Pakistan, Brazil. So we're in that category. We're in that kind of debt to GDP. We used to be around here <coughs> in the middle of the pack. In fact, even last year we were four and a half. So it was around Argentina, Israel, India. But prior to that, we were in this area. This shows you where we are on the graph in the relative uh, context. That is the interest payment by this government. So the problem is, when your debt goes up, as it happens in a household, if you don't get in less and you spend it, your interest payments go through the roof. Our interest payments in South Africa have been growing in the last decade by 12% per annum. That's just unsustainable in a country that's growing, as you saw earlier, with three or in a good year, one and a half. And that curve, unfortunately, is going upwards. The last couple of uh, uh, numbers there are for 2023. So those are the projections by Treasury. I show you all these pictures, not to say, to, to test your economic knowledge, but just to show you in pictures. I, I, I feel sometimes if we see the pictures, it, it, it's much easier to understand. This is a picture, but it shows you as well why the marginal income rate, income tax rate did not go up. And in fact, the Mboweni tried to give some money back by adjusting what we call fiscal drag. First time in many years, by the way. What, what used to happen in the past, in the good days of, of finance in South Africa, was there was allowance taken for inflationary increases. So you would adjust the tax tables take account for that. So you don't want to be worse off because you get an inflationary increase. We have a progressive tax system that pushes you into a higher rate. That is called fiscal drag. And so every year they would reduce the amount that was taken out by adjusting the tax tables. This year it happened for the first time in many years. And the reason that happened was because the taxpayer is like that stone that's just been squeezed so far. And I've shown you the, the, the numbers earlier. You can't squeeze the taxpayer any further. But the reality is even worse than that. And I would urge those of you who, who tell everybody you know, leave the country, it's going to go down the tubes, uh, send your kids to, to go, go somewhere else and, and make a future somewhere else. You might have your reasons for that. But please think about the rest of us. Because today... There are 308,000 South Africans who earn more than a million rand in taxable income. 308,000 or 38 million. They pay 40% of the personal income tax in this country. And personal income tax is more than a third of total taxes. So you take those 308,000 people, and when you're chasing people with skills, because they're the guys who have to go elsewhere and, and more mobile, those 308,000 people contribute about 16% of the total tax every year. That's the same as the amount that is taken from VAT every year. So get rid of, tell everybody who's, who's highly skilled to leave the country and suddenly we have to double VAT to make up for it. You get the picture. So VAT is about 16% of the tax tax. Those 308,000 people, these guys here, 182 and 125,000, those two, they pay 16% of the total tax pay. And then if you take it across, it's all the customs and excise and all the fuel levies together, it's about the 14%, but about the same. So those are the numbers that you're talking about. So you're sitting in Pretoria, you're thinking about your budget this year, you're saying, sheep, because we're having, you know, our rich are leaving the country because they feel that overtax, they're not getting a good value for the money they're spending on tax. The one thing you've got to do is you've got to look after that golden egg. Of course, in the Zuma administration, the more of these guys left the country, the better, because then we can take whatever assets they leave behind. When you're looking for self-interest, that's the way you would approach it. When you're looking for national interest, this is the way the budget has been structured this year. The big problem that we have in the budget is, is state 
pensioners, uh, sorry, state employees, you've heard this time and time again. The uh, state employees have been paid far more than the private sector employees. We've got to a stage now where they're taking, as you can see, nearly 36% of all the tax money, sorry, not the tax money, of the money that is spent by the government in the year, 36% goes to pay salaries of public servants. And that has been rising much faster than in the private sector. The top line, this is from Treasury, is uh, from the Treasury document. The grey line is the increases that the public servants have received versus the increases in the private sector. In the most recent year, the private sector, on average, salaries went up by 4%. In the state, went up by seven and a half, and that is a trend that has continued indefinitely. So, not surprisingly, <coughs> the Minister of Finance says this can't carry on. We've now run out of money. We've got to borrow to actually try and, and, and keep just pay the salary bill every month. We've got to cut the public service. Now, is he going to get it right or not? Skeptics would point you to what happened two years ago, where. Tito said in the budget, and remember it's just a bookkeeping exercise, it's not reality until it happens, that he was going to get 30,000 employees of the state to take early retirement. Do you remember that? They, they changed the laws and 30,000 people would take early retirement. I asked Treasury in the lockup this year, they said, well, you won't, we don't talk much about it, but only 4,000 people took it. So the 30,000 people by now who would have gone off the salary bill would have made quite a dent in the budget, but they just didn't leave. So you have job security working for the state, plus uh, you, you get over uh, inflation in increases, and as a consequence, the taxpayers end up paying. But the taxpayers can't pay anymore. So hence, the big story of the next few years is going to be how do you rein in this public sector spending on, uh, on your staff. One kind of half good news story is that because of the great management of the economy under the Mbeki and Manuel era, our debt is not out of control yet. We've, as you saw, it's escalated ridiculously, but we were down here South Africa's debt-to-GDP ratio was here, amongst the best in the world. Botswana, by the way, is a fabulously managed economy. As you can see, lowest debt-to-GDP ratio of all these countries that were managed there. Ghana, not too bad, although you don't really want to be in that company. And there we are again, India, Pakistan, Egypt. Remember those names. Brazil, worse. But South Africa's been moving along that curve very rapidly, as you saw from the recent graph. So debt to GDP now is getting into the, the high area. In uh, Durban, somebody said to me, yes, but you know, what about these guys here? Well, Japan is just a basket case completely. They're over 200% debt to GDP ratio. And of course, they, they did what we would have done if we had the previous lot running the country. They decided, well, we've got to do something about this debt. Let's just jack up VAT, which they are now paying for because the economy went into a nosedive as a consequence of that. Greece, you've heard about Greece's problems, that's the second biggest. Italy sitting over there, not surprising that coronavirus is free from Italy's got no money to, to, to do a proper job of uh, looking or, or trying to isolate people. It's just look at how indebted they are, way over 100. But unfortunately we're starting to move in that direction. At the moment, you, so you can imagine, you're sitting in, in, in the union buildings or in the treasury, you're thinking to yourself, if we increase taxes, the stone has got no more blood to come out of it, we're not going to get more money. In fact, we're going to get less money, because that's what happens when you increase taxes in front of already heavily taxed area. So, we're going to fight with the public servants, but that's going to take time to reduce the salary bill. What's our choice? We're going to have to let the, the debt go up, debt to GDP, and that's what's happened. That's the one place there's a little bit of scope. Not much, but it does exist. Just talking quickly about the credit rating, because lots of people get very excited about this. 
There are three credit rating agencies that's uh, S&P, Fitch and Moody's and they decide on they rate the countries for international investors who then decide or, or well, have an idea on how safe their investment is, how much chance it is that they're going to default like Russia's done, like Argentina's done and many other countries over the history. So if you are investment grade what the ratings agencies are saying is that's safe, you don't have to worry you put your money in there uh, you're going to get it back and as a consequence investors around the world are quite happy to lend to those countries and to those governments. What a lot of people forget is that we've been junk for two out of three since April 2017 We've been holding on by the skin of our teeth with Moody's since November. Now the problem is if all three of the rating agencies put you into junk, then you really are junk. Uh, and then anybody who invested with you around the world, uh, many of them can no longer do so because you need at least one investment grade rating for certain pension funds and other um, uh, investors to, to be allowed to, let alone want to be allowed to. And this is a, a, a very interesting uh, table that I pulled out by having a look at what this means. Now it's very complicated with the ratings agencies. They've all got their different categories. Triple A for this one is prime. That's United States would be in that level. And you get right down to the bottom in default. That means they are, you know, they, they say they don't owe you the money to you uh, and that's done. <coughs> If you look at this table, the green part is investment grade, and there's South Africa right on the cusp. Above us is India, but India is holding in there, even though they've got a similar debt, because those are two criteria, debt to GDP and your budget debts. That's how well the, the country, or the chances are of getting your money back. Our debt to GDP ratios are similar to India. But as you can see, India is got a budget deficit of under 4% and we nearly said So, oh, oh. Now, suddenly, we were at 4.5%. We just like hanging in at 4.5%. Now we've got to And so where does that take us? Brazil is two notches into junk already and they have a lower budget deficit than South Africa, 5.7, a higher debt to GDP. But that gives you an indication. Then you go back to, remember I told you about countries that we're getting into the same neighbourhood of? Uh, Egypt and Pakistan, and they're one, two, three, four, five, five notches into China is Egypt, and they've got the same kind of budget deficit South Africa now has. Uh, debt to GDP a little higher, and there's Pakistan, which is six notches down. And as you can see there, their, their ratios are a little worse than ours. So, what does it take? <coughs> Where the, the response is obvious. If you are moody, you just hold on for two years, maybe three years longer than the other two ratings agencies, keeping this country of ours in investment grade. Now we've given them every excuse to adjust. So it isn't an argument anymore. It's just a matter of the time, when the time happens. Onto the share portfolio. This portfolio was started in 2014 as a hedge against the Zuma administration and the dumb economic policies that were being implemented at the time. And you can go back every <coughs> month since we started the portfolio. I've reiterated this. This is a hedge against the insanity of the economic policies that have got us into the place that we're at right now. The consequence of that has been that only recently, in September last year, we decided to bring some of the money back on shore because at that stage the South African stocks were become extremely attractive. Uh, they're even more attractive today <coughs> because as you can see, the market as a whole is down 13% since we made that repatriation. Fortunately, uh, I'm, a, I'm a huge uh, fan of NASPAS, as you guys know, and it's not those of you who've come to these events before, uh, as a value investor. You're still getting NASPAS at a discount of 40% on Tencent, the Hong Kong's biggest asset, and you get everything else thrown in for free. So it's an incredible uh, opportunity to get great value uh, in a in a very, very good stock, which is an exponential stock, 
as we have had over here. Um, those of you who, who were with us in the beginning, I mean, look at Amazon buying it at $327. It went down a little bit after we bought it, and now it's nearly $2,000 a share. Now, that makes any portfolio spectacular. But we've, we've done okay with some of the others. We, um, we sold Tesla at $300, which is 900 afterwards. But the reason why we decided to, if you recall, uh, sell Tesla was because the idea of investing was sleep at night. And what Elon Musk was busy doing uh, was not helping his investors to sleep at night. So uh, I suggested that that's what we would do on this portfolio. This is a model portfolio. I closed the one that was actually like the equities because there was so much money going into it that I was going to have to become an asset manager. And that was never the intention. This is an intention was for, for South Africans to have a look at what is available in the other markets outside of this country and to start doing your own research on it. That's exactly what we've done with uh, a trader. Uh, Brett Duncan, who's Bernard's colleague, said to me in 2014, we started this thing called Web Trader. South Africans can now take money offshore. There's, today you can take a million rand a a year and nobody asks any questions. And you can invest in these stocks. But we didn't know much about these stocks. Well, through the webinars every month, um, we've worked a lot, certainly, and hopefully uh, that, that's gone and it's been passed on. Um, and hopefully there are people in this room who, who bought Netflix the other day when we were at 260 because we've been watching it for long enough. Um, and it came to a, a, a great opportunity, and as you today it's over 380. And it's that kind of a, a. But you've got to understand the business, and the whole idea of this portfolio is every month when we do the webinars is to say this is what's happened to the company in the past month. So it's like uh, it's a model portfolio, but you do keep updated with all the information that, that's going on there. So what are we doing? We're finally getting rid of Berkshire. I mean, that breaks my heart as a, as a huge Warren Buffett fan. But Berkshire is an old economy stock. And as you might have seen from the reaction to the coronavirus, the, the stocks that get hit hardest are those that are most vulnerable. And the most vulnerable stocks in a transforming world are old economy stocks. We're going to replace that with Spotify. Spotify, I've been watching for a while. It was below $140 earlier this week. It's gone about $145 now. But the reason I like Spotify is a bit like Netflix. When people talk about Netflix, the, the, the jibber-jabber is here's a company that's going to be hurt by the streaming wars. When you watch the quarterly uh, investment calls, and it's, it's amazing this stuff, because you literally can go onto YouTube and you can watch, uh, certainly with Netflix, with any of the other countries in the portfolio as well, uh, they have these, they have, uh, what Netflix does, they have an analyst from a company called Guggenheim Investors, and he then asks them questions, and they've got five of their top executives who then field the questions uh, and, and answer them, and during that, uh-oh, we just lost just lost the, the picture. Um, during, you see, it was an apple. No. <laughs> <laughs> but those wondrous calls are, are fantastic because uh, it, it's not it's not that they, they do a, a, a great quality of presentation, but they tell you the information you want to hear. And then it's a bit like a Google Hangout. Thanks. And the one guy starts talking, and you'll see him on the screen and so on. But Netflix keeps telling us that they're a global company to start with, and we just see Queen Sona has been uh, making this market by Netflix. The first really big, uh, uh, big budget movie in quite some time for the South African market. And they do the same in Argentina, Turkey. They, they reinvest each of those markets. But the second thing is they say they're not fighting with Disney Plus and HBO, which is about to come into the streaming area. They're fighting with analog TV. A little bit like websites against newspapers. When you have a website, you don't really care too much at the moment anyway about the other websites as your competitors, because your real competitors is newspaper. And it's a similar thing here with streaming versus animal. And they still only have about 10% of the world's market relative to the viewers. 
relative to analog. But if you look at Netflix, just just an obvious thing, it's 130 rand a month, and that's your entertainment taken care of. So those are the kind of stories that you've got to understand if you want to buy a check. You kind of get it. Spotify has invested heavily in podcasts. Now, as the lad told you, in the beginning in 1997, I started uh, at the time, people thought I was so mad. You know, why are you leaving um, a really nice job where you get properly paid to go into a field where this interweb thing? I mean, Facebook wasn't even around, Google wasn't around. We had Opta, Vista, and Ask Jeeves, and you know, names that have been long, long, long forgotten. The internet was to me, in my experience, an opportunity that that because of my experience in publishing, I could see no printing costs, no distribution costs. Wow, it goes 80% of your cost. If you can take that out of your equation and this thing does take off, it's going to be incredible. And that was the consequence there. I see the same thing happening with podcasting right now. 75% of Americans know about podcasts or have listened to a podcast. 50% of Americans listen to podcasts every day. Now, those of us who consume DSTV realize that DSTV gives the ability to watch catch-up. I mean, I don't have to watch all the rugby games anymore. You go on to catch-up and get a nine-minute summary of uh, what happened in all the Super Rugby matches, which is great because you keep up to date with the highlights. We now consume on-demand television. Radio consumption on-demand is even more appealing for obvious reasons. If you happen to be sitting in traffic and the phone rings and you're listening to your favorite program, what can you do about it? Well, tough luck on the radio. You've just got to you know, you take the phone call or you reject the phone call, which you wouldn't do for a radio show. It's also got a lot of ads within it. Consumption of radio on demand, i.e. podcasts, eliminates all of that. You can listen to the gym, to your favorite program. It also ensures that you can select so what have we done at business? We've uh, acquired the rights to Bloomberg and Wall Street Journal podcasts. And we've also moved into our new studio where we are producing better quality podcasts. So you can see, I've made this bet within our company. We're aggressive, aggressively pursuing the podcast route. It would have been very easy with the experience that I had to go to a free-to-air radio station and go back on the radio. No, no, that didn't. You just went by. But that's not where the future is. The future is in podcasting. Back to Spotify. Spotify has invested massively in podcasting. That's their next big play. So I would like to be part of that. Hence, Spotify is going to come into the portfolio. The other company I'm looking at to add to the portfolio, uh, and Spotify is growing in exponential rates, 25 or 30 plus, is a company you've probably never heard of called Cloudflare. I've heard of it because uh, back in the times when uh, the government uh, used to attack us and actually, uh, well, not just the government, there were other people as well who'd like to bring us up down and try to bring us up. Well, they did bring us up down. Um, we then started to investigate better on how you, you block these denial of service uh, attacks and we discovered this thing that uh, was born in the Israeli defense industry and its subsequent movements. It's a public company called Cloudflare. Cloudflare is the world's leading security network for internet websites. And <laughs> so now we've lost you again. And, uh, and Cloudflare, unfortunately, the thing that, that worries it's growing at 50% plus uh, at the moment. It's also got about an 80% profit margin because once you build these defenses, uh, and they don't charge big money, you, you, you can get the protection for $20 a month. So it's, it's a mass market kind of uh, uh, business. And the problem that I have with Cloudflare is that it's a very rich rating. The company is about $6.5 billion market cap, and last year it made under $100 million in sales. So if you understand, you're really paying up for it. But with the, if, if you take a spreadsheet out and you look at 50% growth rates in your revenue, you see pretty quickly you get there. It's a bit like the Amazon story of 10, 15 years ago. 
restructure, but, but we will be putting that in the portfolio. Further down in the portfolio, I've never had luck, it seems, with ETFs. We put ETFs into the portfolio twice. The first one was the Mercat ETF, which we burnt on. And we got rid of that one. Uh, and now we've burnt on this thing as well, this uh, top 40 ETF. We're getting rid of that. We will be bringing in Discovery. Um, I've got lots of reasons why Discovery is a, is a great stock. But the prime one is a company in China called Pingan. Pingan Health is a company that, that has many parallels to Tencent and NASA. When Tencent bought into NASDAQ in 1999, Tencent was 30 people. And you look at Tencent today, it's 140%. Uh, the value of Tencent's investment in NASDAQ is 140% of the NASDAQ share price. And the, the way that the NASDAQ shares have gone, you might remember during that period, everybody and his dogs said there's no way that the share price which double last year can double again and double again. And it kept on doing that because you had that exponential wave of Tencent. And we now know that there are many millionaires in South Africa as a consequence of NASA, just being lucky enough to buy 20 shares or whatever it was they are young. Discovery has this partnership with Pingan Health in China, which has been a winner in the same way that Tencent has been. It's not quite at its full infancy, but it's, in the last year, Discovery owns 25% of this business. Why was Discovery there? Because Discovery has got a uh, a shared value concept where they get to keep you healthy, you save, and they can actually charge you less. So they can become an incredible moat in the Warren Buffett context. Uh, in the United States, John Hancock, uh, which is one of the big companies, uh, large companies, 80% of their policies they sold in the past six months were discovery linked policies on this shared value. And that's exciting, and they've got similar deals with AIA, uh, Generali, and AIA in Asia, Iran in Europe, but the big one is this Klingon. So Klingon, last year celebrated 10 billion RMB in premium income. That is 25 billion rand. But in China, 25 billion rand is only the starting point. In his presentation, and you can go and watch it on the Discovery website, I was, it's my job, so I watched the whole thing. Uh, Adrian Gore said that the management team at Pingon are now, the next target is 100 billion. So that's where they're off to next. Uh, there's also quite a nice podcast that I've been looking on the subject. Now 100 billion turnover is starting to get you into unbelievable territory as a South Imagine a South African company that could do 250 billion sales. Uh, you just can't believe it. It's just the numbers are too big for us. But what Discovery, what Pingan is already doing, they already uh, cover, uh, and it's only been going a few years, 16 million lives. Their app is accessed by 32 million people. So it's already half, the, half of them already have policy, the other half don't. And in China, if you become a national champion, you get the support of the state, not antitrust, as you do in the West, and they've been granted licenses in more provinces, now there's sufficient provinces that have licenses in that they can sell to people to, to potentially reach an audience of a billion people. Pingon is a phenomenon, and to me, lots of parallels. I asked Adrian this, and he, he kind of got very coy <coughs> when I asked him the story, but it is something that could very well be our next master's. You know, you get one bite of this too, usually in a lifetime. Or Warren Buffett says you get one cat. Every six or seven years. Well, this looks like a very fat picture. And then I'm also looking at, uh, at Sassel, but we'll, we'll uh, you know, the jury's out on that one. If coronavirus continues to uh, get the politicians in a state of great distress, uh, it can affect trade, it will affect oil, and really that's what Sassel is. The late Charles thing is, a, is, a, is obviously a problem. There's also uh, class action suits in the United States now over Lake Charles because what happens in that part of the world in the United States is you tell them you're going to spend so much on a plant and you end up spending more than the investors who bought your shares on the strength of what you were spending they should sue you. That's what happens in America. Think about South Africa. Every citizen of South Africa will be sued the government of Brazil and the 
I mean, nice idea that you can win it the bull at the end of the day. But that's what they do in the US. And that keeps companies honest uh, and tackle things too. But I'm sure that's in the price at the moment. You see, it's that sort of 2004 levels. Uh, you, you really have to scratch your head and wonder whether you aren't getting an incredible opportunity. So that is just to give you a, a, the, the stock performances. There it shows you the profits uh, generated by Amazon. You know, anybody can look clever if you bought Amazon in 2014. So, and unfortunately down the bottom, that one's gone. Um, but the, the rest have done quite well. Adobe and Netflix are recent additions to the portfolio. It's interesting to see how Microsoft is now getting a better return for us than Apple. And that is the end of the formal presentation. So I hope I've given you some food for thought. Ah, yes, one thing. Uh, that if you want to write, you've got to pay. The, 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 the app is on. It's app. App. Dash. 1500.iono.fm So it's what it does at iono.fm And uh, it's at ADB is for at the dash 1500 is our code that they've given us and then Iono are the hosting platform here in South Africa In fact that's an incredible position they listed one of our issues um, they're in the podcasting field and they're really, really good. So I own it. Just put that into your cell phone and download the app. You, you, you won't be sorry. It's, uh, it gives you access to, uh, to all of our podcasts and, and they're all free. You don't have to be... If you want to read the transcripts and things, it costs us a lot of money to do that, so you've got to be a premium subscriber. But the actual audio, it's there. Thank you. Good. We have time, 13 minutes according to my uh, recorder for questions. So I was like seven minutes over, sorry. Sir? The question was, Japan uh, has a high debt GDP ratio, over 200%. How are they still a prosperous nation? Um, I, I'm no expert on the Japanese economy, uh, but I guess everything is in the history. And if you look back to the, the wonderful run that Japan had up until uh, the end 80s, uh, you'll, you'll, they, they're living off a lot of that, no doubt. Uh, they've got, still got great com- uh, companies. But they got themselves into this terrible cycle of no economic growth. Too much debt. Now they try and reduce the debt. They push up the taxes. They've gone past the Lafayette curve. It's a really, really sad state of affairs. They've tried all kinds of things that I've read about uh, in Japan to get things right. Um, as I say, I, I, it's outside my circle of competence, so I'm really you know, take your flyer, but what I do know is that they haven't got anything yet that works. So, but they, they, they were the second biggest economy in the world. Gives you a lot of, you know, a big country to live on for a while. We unfortunately don't have that. But we did, we had it. 2009. And then we gave it to a bunch of crooks. Why is this too big to fail? Why is SAA too big to fail? Tito doesn't say that. Tito says it's not too big to fail. It's a very interesting point. Uh, in 1994, I saw the, the pre-market foundation pulled out some numbers. It's a, a story that we ran on business a couple of weeks ago. SAA had, I think it was something like 90%. <coughs> of the South African market. Comi was really small at that stage, relatively speaking. And of the international market, because of the, the, the way that the, uh, the landing rights were uh, presented, they had a very large share. And I don't 
exactly, but it was there. Subsequent to that, you've had the international airlines have come into South Africa and have opened the skies because we need tourists. We take down over that more than anybody else. And in the domestic market, because SAA has been so useless, you've had a lot of competitors who've now managed to make a go of it. And you might recall there was Lightstar that went bankrupt, any number of, of, of uh, one time, uh, a lot of money was lost there. But now that SAA is so useless, the new guys can come in and, and make a go of it. And the last figure that the Free Market Foundation quoted was SAA's market share in South Africa was under 25% of domestic and internationally was much lower than that. So it's not too difficult. That 25% capacity will be taken quite easily and on the international front there's no doubt that uh, the other airlines would be quite happy to, to fill their plans. So it's this, this fallacy that the politicians uh, during the Zuma administration perpetrated because it was an asset they had and their friends could, could pillage from. You might recall um, uh, the president of Sudan who arrived in South Africa. Uh, the, the butcher of Darfur is known as international. He's not been arrested, interestingly enough. When he arrived in South Africa and the Zuma guys spirited him out before he could be arrested, there was an international criminal court charge uh, warrant for him. Soon after he went back to Sudan, Zuma instructed South African Airways to open a uh, flight to Kotu. That's the way they pay him. So now, we can't afford to, as taxpayers, and certainly Tita hasn't got the money to play. So he's been telling people this, and now we have people in government who are, as they used to be <laughs> during the Mbeki's era, we've just got common sense to come back to play. David? Annika, I like your thinking of Sassel because for years it's been the darling, and Annika Ray, I think, if I'm not mistaken, still have, have their number one stock choice. And yet I saw today lost another 5% down to 175 rand on the basis of a sense announcement where the directors just awarded themselves handsome rewards, shares, you know, and millions, you know, and you say, well, these guys are dispensable, do we need them to keep making losses? Surely I think the fund managers are saying that we'd rather vote with our feet than we are here. I, I, I didn't see that, but I think, <coughs> I think there's, uh, if that's the insensitivity mm. of the directors, then uh, they will be punished company when we finish, but sure. At some point in time, you've got to get sensible directors and sensible management and the assets at 175 rand or market capital of much less than what they speak in America on Lake Charles. So, so, you know, sometimes we get confused by the personalities and the people and we personalise them. Rather do the bucket story. He doesn't ever personalise He takes annual reports and he reads the annual report because figures don't lie, people lie. No, it's not I mean, unless, you know, the sign of the report is not But uh, generally speaking, uh, the numbers don't lie. So if you analyze those numbers, you should be able to see But it's, it's certainly one to look at. Sir? It's brilliant that we lost the state capture years. Are we ever going to get that money back? Do you know where it is? I'd like to answer that differently. And ask you if you can just imagine for a moment where South Africa would have been if 179 people had voted the other one on the 18th of December 2017. And sometimes we need to keep things in perspective. It was a close thing. We could have had, uh, well, transit would have put that money into BBX as a starting point. If you recall, if you read Kerry Macau's investigation into Zenda Building Society, BBS, and the funding that went on there, they were on the verge, transit was on the verge of putting money in just before, uh, the, the, around the time of the ANC. We got a howitzer shell, let alone a put in this country. So, Will we get the money back in state capture? There are many, many people working very, very hard to ensure that happens. The new uh, head of NPA, uh, 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 u
read Tractate and Shambhila's Victoria, is she says that she's got a lot of monkeys to get out of the system. My uh, good pal, Paul Sullivan, he lives in Europe, the devil there was one in South Africa. Uh, he's completely convinced that it's the tide has turned. He, uh, he, he went after a chap um, called Trinidad, who then started suing using Curtis advocates for trying to Paul in jail because he was sued and this Trinidad had been paying a fellow by the name of Kadebe. He paid him a total of 60 million rand, but it was in installments because you know, the guy had signed off on all the crooked contracts. And that money went into ABSA, where some branded teller pulled out a million rand at a time. So the money would get transferred by Trinidad to Khadeva, who is a senior member of Eskin. The ABSA teller presumably brought in a suitcase because a million rand is a lot of money to put Pulled it up, not once, but numerous times. And Absa says, oh no, geez, we didn't know what was going on. Those are the, era, the, the realities of the situation. People actually went along because that is the way things happen. But today, things might happen like that again. The Absa who's facing that situation, will think many times before even hanging over a hundred thousand So there's Let's try and see the study of this It's not long ago we were, we were up a creek without a paddle. So, I think that I don't know a bit close to home, but any opinions about the study of my results? Tell me now. I'll get fired. <laughs> Sorry. Danae, so, do you want to talk about the study of my results? I'm not
What are the chances of calling um, KTB by alpha? Sorry, Sir Ramaphosa. You know, I don't know, but I mean, who knows in politics outside my circle of politics? But Ramaphosa, I did spend a lot of time reading the biography by Anthony Butler uh, and the <coughs> audio book. It was like the worst investment of time I ever made financially, but the best investment of time in understanding who this man is. And uh, he's not kind of person who, uh, who hasn't thought, hasn't planned. He's a, he's a, he's a, if you read the book, you, you'll see from a young age he was a man of God, which is actually quite interesting. Those of you irreligious, I'm sorry, but if you listen to the State of the Nation address, you'll hear he says in our prayers, he often um, uh, does consult with religious leaders as well, which was not the case in the past. So that's, that's quite a good thing. In fact, he was, uh, he, he was the, the, the young boy from Chapella in Soweto uh, who used to walk around from the Lutheran Church of the Bible in Lutheran. What does it do? It just makes someone a lot more humble uh, than, than if they don't believe in a higher house. That's one good thing. And the second good thing about him is that he's a man of great detail. Now, the one thing I have learned in, in my business experience is that you have to speak the small stuff. Uh, the, the, the great entrepreneurs, uh, the great business builders, and I guess the great politicians are the people who understand the basics, they understand the small stuff, they understand the details. Donald Gordon, for instance, they will tell you at Liberty, was, he knew exactly how every single policy in that company worked. It's a similar thing in many other instances. The Larry Lippinoff from First Grand, uh, who I know pretty well, says that you've got to understand the detail, but you've also got to be able to look at the bigger picture. And I guess that's where it is. And Jonathan has got He knows that South Africa needs to bring money in to get the economy started again. So hence, he's, he's picked the four best people he could find to be envoys around the world, to go and talk to other people in the world and say, what will it take to get your money invested in our country? Uh, one of them is and that's, that's the way. So it's playing up there, but his detail, attention to detail is extreme. With that kind of a, 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 a outline, it seems very difficult that, that nondescripts of the, the types that we see around him who are attacking are going to be able to, uh, to cook on that. Just doesn't, it doesn't make sense. Lots of The national scheme, they are economists who say, it will not happen because the government uh, doesn't have the money, etc. Um, your opinion on that? If I can speak in the last one. Go steady, they don't have the money. There's no money for it. Right. So we you agree with that? Well, I, I, what I would say very quickly before you accept the question is that uh, the, the way that somebody who pays attention to detail will manage things is incrementally rather than taking gambles. So it will be an incremental thing. We need natural health in South Africa. Everybody in this room agrees. We must have a system where poor people aren't disadvantaged if they get sick. That's just, that's, that's immoral. But we don't have the resources to do it immediately. We must work towards it. And we will work towards it. It's the greatest asset that the British people will tell you they have today. No politician in Britain will suggest abandoning or even reducing the size of national health. But it's something that, that equalizes uh, the, the opportunities for a population. So we'll get there, but it's going to take a long time for us. Do you think it's possible for us to stop the government from paying the, uh, the pensions of people? They were even talking about doing the private pension funds. You know, and it's a good question to end off with. <coughs> I'm in the media industry. If I was in the media industry in China, I would have a sensor sitting next to me. Every single thing that you publish, first of all, I need a license to be able to publish. But secondly, everything I, I would publish would have to go through the sensor. That is what happens in an autocracy, in a democracy. I can publish whatever I like, even at the worst time of the Zuma administration. We were able to point out the Problems that were existing in this 
we have an incredible advantage, and we've been through Our system has been stress-tested. We're a young democracy, but it has been very heavily stress-tested. And it's been through. And you've got to ask yourself, if that's what's happened, what is the chance of, a, of idiocy being implemented upon us? Progress of land without compensation. I mean, last year, everyone was talking about it. Get back to Ron O'Posey, attention to detail. He's not a, he doesn't want to take us to Zimbabwe. He's worked too hard to build up his own asset base and his sense of purpose and mission to make this a great country, not to make this uh, something that you throw in the dust. He knows that incrementally, and again, nobody in this room would argue that expropriation of land or restitution of land is a bad thing. Of course we know from our history. Land away to keep people out because they've got five millimeters, five millimeters of their skin, which means that it's either darker or lighter. But we had crazy guys who thought that made a, made a difference. They are no racists, by the way. Scientific, there's no racists. We're all the same. And on the rare, when you have that, that has been implemented through a, a system that was visited upon our country, we have to. Roll it back. Even though, I mean, that's rational and logical, but you can't do it overnight. Like national health, so our, our people won't let stupidity happen. We have the courts of law, we have the ultimate authority in this society, not the president. The ultimate authority is the court. We are a constitutional democracy. Sometimes we forget that. And a constitutional democracy means that you, as an ordinary citizen, can take the president to court wrong, and you can force him to not do something wrong. So what happened during the Zuma administration, you mean get this, but there were many courtiers. So they come up with a crazy piece of legislation, and the guys who were affected took them to court. They could never amend it. Eventually, Zuma had to go to his lawyers first to say, can we put this piece of legislation forward? And his lawyers sometimes said, yes, they can, and they couldn't, because the Constitution Against it. Did all of these things that are that are safeguards that we have as a as a as a young democracy with huge advantages that democracy brings, but of course it brings challenges as well. And I think that that, uh, that sometimes we celebrate uh, rather than celebrate the political movements, celebrate the system we have, and celebrate our incredible uh, ability as a nation. Overcome seemingly impossible obstacles.